When you know that you are queer, but your favorite drink is beer, that's gayish. You can bottom without stopping, but you can't stand going shopping, that's gayish. Oh, gayish, you're probably gayish. Well, life's just too short for narrow stereotypes, so it's gayish. We're also gayish. It's gayish with Mike and Kyle. Hello, everyone in the podcast universe. This is gayish. The podcast that's holding a lot of water in its butt. Okay. I guess that makes it anal retentive. Oh, God. <laughs> it's the worst when you douche and it doesn't all come out. And you're like, where did it go? Do I have like, a secret compartment? It's like half around? a cup of water still sloshing around. <laughs> yeah, and it won't come out. Like, where damn it. secret butt compartment? Yeah, I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. And we're here to bridge the gap between sexuality and actuality. Miss Frizzle and the kids find the secret water butt compartment. <laughs> When you wheel out the science cart to watch a TV instead of actually do learning. That's oh. the episode I want to watch. Oh, God, yeah. I'm old enough to remember, like, reel-to-reel, like, films. Like, we oh. showed mo- movie movies because I don't think VCRs were a thing yet. Wow. <laughs> we at least we moved from VHSs to DVDs. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. This is a great episode so far, Kyle. This is a good episode on Miss Frizzle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love this episode so far. Um, no, we are talking about masking. We're going to talk about masking. Uh, yeah, which, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it after, yeah. after, after after some stuff. But it was a Gapridger request, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, thanks, Harry Shaw. Especially because we're going to have uh, some of our favorite collaborators on today. Uh, Minority Report yeah. is, is joining us. And so... They're they're magical. Yeah, I, I heard them. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to talk to them. Um, but first, but first, here's the news. Shut your mouth hole. It's time for your ear holes. News, news, news. News. The first, the United States Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, just last week has once again changed the blood donation recommendations, oh. blood donation policies in 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 the United States. And it's not better for me personally, but it's better in general, Hmm. I think. Uh, So they are going to ask people who want to donate blood the same set of questions, regardless of their sex or sexual orientation. That already sounds like an improvement. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so, you know, not, we've talked about it on the show a million times, but I think it's worth going over because a lot of people just are unaware. It was just a few years ago that gay and bisexual men had a lifetime ban on donating blood. Uh, so if you had ever banged a dude as a dude, you were you, you were done. And then the most recent policy, which has been in effect for uh, a couple of years now, said that men who have sex with men or women who have sex with men who have sex with men needed to wait three months after sexual contact with other men before they could donate blood. But they were looking at other countries like the UK and Canada who have implemented what they call risk-based rules and uh, determined that it was safe to not make it about orientation or even gender identity, but to make it about behavior. So, Which that makes way more sense to me. Yep. 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 Exactly. Now, the reason that I still can't donate blood is because if you are on PrEP, you still can't donate blood. Oh. And um, that's partially because PrEP and medications like PrEP that are that are used for HIV treatment can make it so that there it is an undetectable amount of viral load in the blood supply, which undetectable is untransmissible and transmittable. 
uh, U equals U on your dating apps. That's a person saying that I am pause, but I don't have any measurable amount of viral load in my blood. You cannot get HIV sexually from a person. But it turns out that it is possible for you to have an undetectable amount of viral load in your blood, but blood to blood, like directly going in your veins, not via sex, is still uh, a risk. It's still possible to, to transmit. And because PrEP is part of the equation that can lower the detectability, mm-hmm. um, and so it's just an overabundance of caution. But uh, under the new questions, anyone who had a new sexual partner and anal sex, or who had multiple sexual partners and anal sex would be asked to wait three months from their most recent sexual contact to donate blood. And then again, if you're on PrEP, you still, you, you can't. And the FDA is saying they, they advise against stopping PrEP to donate blood. Don't. If you're on PrEP, be on PrEP. Don't yeah. go off PrEP so you could donate blood. Just... Yeah, that would be the most, like, kind-hearted person in the world that I can imagine to go off PrEP just to donate blood. And, like, that's so sweet of you. But, like, no, take care of you first. Yeah. Well, and... Then I was thinking, like, I don't know why, why am I on prep? The last the last load I took was January, so like, hmm. <laughs> there's been plenty of time. <laughs> but like, did you plan for that? Would you have wrapped it up? Like, right. you know, it's it's not about all. It's not about frequency. It's also about when it happens. What do you do? So you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, thanks FDA for for doing your your best to take the are you gay part out and just yeah. focus on the dangerous part. Which is the butt sex part. Yeah, and especially when when you're already doing a pre-screening with every person. This is not like we have to make mass decisions based on no information other than, oh, we know some people are gay. It's like you're doing a pre-screening where you control what questions you ask a person. Right. And so rather than asking them if they're gay and making some assumptions, you can just ask what you really need to know. Right. Yep. So it's not that we're like being more PC. It's just we're following the trail of what actually what actual information causes the risk and what do we need to know from people. Yep. And Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. For sure. So that's awesome. Uh, okay. News the second. So uh, there's, this dude, there's this dude named Bob Huggins. And Bob Huggins is the West Virginia men's basketball head coach. Are you Have you been following this story at all? No. I'm mostly just throwing it in here because I like the fact that there are consequences. So <laughs> uh, he went on a Cincinnati radio show a couple of weeks ago toward the beginning of May here. And he said a bunch of nasty shit about Xavier, which is another school, I guess is like their rival. And I, I haven't found the clip to listen to it. And most of the articles dance around what exactly he said, which huh. that's interesting. Yeah. But he was on a Cincinnati radio show and they asked him if he'd ever poached any Xavier players to transfer to West Virginia. And he said, quote, Catholics don't do that. Any school that can throw rubber penises on the floor and then say they didn't do it. My God, they can get away with anything. And then the show host mentions that it was transgender night at the game that Huggins was referencing while he was a coach at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, it is unclear if the school ever held a transgender night or if the incident Huggins described ever happened, but he followed up with an anti-gay comment. Quote, what it was was all those fags, those Catholic fags. I think I think they were envious they didn't have one. A, trans, a transgender night, I guess. I, I, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so blah, blah, blah. He made a big old apology and said that it, he understood that it was abhorrent and um, he said a bunch of very, like, I don't know, PC 
bullshit quote i deeply regret my actions i also regret the embarrassment and disappointment it has caused our athletics family this is like you're reading this you yeah fucking he dick gave bag. he gave a pr person like i need a publicist to draft me feelings <laughs> yep but this he also was given a three-game suspension is going to be required to participate in sensitivity training. His contract has been changed from a six-year contract or multi-year contract to a year-to-year deal. And this is the big one. His salary was reduced by $1 million. Jesus Christ. So he was supposed to be getting $4.1 million and they reduced his salary to three over this comment that he wow. made. Wow. I mean, on one hand, that's great. And can you imagine making, still making $3 million? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, geez, that's insane. But I mean, yeah, that's great that those seem like real tangible consequences. Right. And not just. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So West Virginia University, good for you for like, I don't know, like actually doing something about it. It wasn't just yeah. a slap on the wrist. It wasn't just like an apology tour. It was like. Yeah. fucking paycheck dick yeah. bag yeah and hopefully if it happens again there's something that like okay that's why it's year to year so they can like if something like this happens again if he shows a pattern of behavior then you yep. let him go yep because that's like one of those interviews it's like that came out of your mouth because that's who you are right by nature right. like you had to do the fake apology oh i'm so sorry like you're not like you're sorry you got caught but like that's the kind of shit you know he says all the time at home absolutely yeah i don't think straight people throw around the f word very much unless they're like throwing it around a yeah, lot yeah right? like yeah much less on the radio i uh, completely yeah, yeah like yeah if you if you're saying fag on the radio like that would be a what time you'd i don't know i think you'd kind of hide the f word to like just I, t- I don't get it. I don't know why you'd think that would be... Uh, yeah, that's wild that he even thought that was an acceptable thing to throw around. Yep. Uh, he also says that the school says that Huggins and all athletic department people will, quote, partner with WVU's LGBTQ plus center to develop annual training sessions that will address all aspects of inequality, including homophobia, transphobia, sexism, ableism, and more. I don't understand why... Every educational institute in the country isn't already doing mm. this kind of shit. Yeah. You as a base as a baseline. As, like day one of you work here now should probably be here's how to not yeah. be a dick bag. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, can you imagine the poor fag that has to lead that training? Oh my god. He'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, let's talk about <laughs> yeah. let's talk about what it means to be gay. Yeah. Blood sex. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say words yet. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Oh man. Yeah. And the 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 ignorant but probably well-meaning questions that he's, yeah. he's going to get. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and th- and those are times you kind of have to like be able to accept the ignorant but well-meaning questions because this is a safe place of learning where you're allowed to like. I wonder. Wh- oh, I would like pay to hear what questions you get asked at those kinds of sessions. I absolutely would too. Oh man. Um, news the last. Great. So, uh, Justice Katanji Brown Jackson wrote the court's opinion in Santos Zacharia versus Garland. Uh, it was a unanimous decision, which that's interesting because even Clarence Thomas apparently isn't a big enough fuckface asshole dickbag to, <laughs> to fight this. But, uh, uh, the, the, the decision is historic, not just because of the impact that it had on the law, but because it is inclusive in 
transgender people and non-citizens that live in the United States and does so in a way that uses proper pronouns to describe a trans woman who fled Guatemala after being assaulted and persecuted on the basis of her gender identity and sexual orientation. Mm. She um, also, uh, uh, they, it's noteworthy that the, the opinion uses the term non-citizen uh, rather than illegal alien, which has oh, appeared wow. in court documents before, but um, uh, Justice Jackson um, chose to use great. non-citizen as part of the language, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, but Estrella Santos Zacaria, who's a trans refugee, uh, came to the United States illegally and was deported. So then she came to the United States again because she was being accosted for being trans in Guatemala. And uh, apparently there's some sort of technicality in how she was deported that's just like there doesn't need to be an opinion it just they fucked up the deportation mm -hmm. process so she needs to go through the right channels to be deported but but yeah the the, the fact that they use she her pronouns and refer to her as a non-citizen is pretty cool yeah pretty, pretty new and of course justice jackson is one of the liberal ones and a badass yeah that's, that's awesome it. yeah um, speaking of badasses, that's the news. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of bad eye, uh, I would like to thank the following. That's the new plural now. Yeah, bad eye. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I would like to thank the following Patreon members: Kevin Kelly. That's two first names. That's two first names: Kevin and or Kelly. Uh, Hunter Silver. That's the name of an X Men. That's it's a color. Oh right. <laughs> I think of redoing my wall. I'm going to do a deep shade of Hunter Silver, Hunter Green, Hunter Orange, and Hunter Silver highlights. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Charles Benton. Okay, I that sounds fancy comments? actually. Oh, oh, sorry, Charles Benton. <laughs> uh, Clyde. Clyde. Yeah. Is Cl Uniname. Clyde. Sounds like a horse. I think my grandpa oh, had a horse named Clyde. Clyde the Clydesdale. That's a little. That's a little much. But a little too much. I bet the bestiality episode got Clyde. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Clyde. We we only knew you. Thanks for joining. Bye. See you later. <laughs> later. It's been fun having you. Um, and Jeff Tolette, or Tolet, but they're two T's. So Tol Tolette, Toyette, Toyette. Thanks, um, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, I would like to thank all of our new Patreon members. If you want to get episodes a day early, get them ad-free, or uh, even get bonus content episodes, bonus segments, uh, you can join at patreon.com slash gayishpodcast. Yeah, and 50% off live show tickets. You should buy those, you dirty fuckers. Yeah, you, you beautiful <laughs> dirty fuckers. We love you so. Uh, get your live show tickets, gayishpodcast.com slash live to see all the dates. Yeah. Okay, you want to talk about masking? Yeah, let's mask do it. Mask for masking. Mask for masking. <laughs> Which there's masking involved in. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, there is. Bra. Yeah, let's do this whole thing as if we're like dudes. <laughs> so uh, we had sort of kicked around this idea first. Uh, uh, Harry Shaw, one of our Gap Bridgers, selected this. We um, take our Gap Bridgers and we have we sit down and have like a face to face <laughs> chat with them, and <laughs> we steal them yeah. <laughs> for a brief, yep, a brief night. But then uh, we, yeah, we, uh, we, we talk through ideas and what, what interests are and, and we, we settled on, on this, but we were sort of n n not unsure, but we were kicking around this, like what is masking versus what is code switching? Cause yeah. they are, they are quite related. And I was telling you right before we went on the air that I, I think that this episode is the masking 
episode, if only because a lot of the stuff that I read about code switching makes it sound like that's specifically about being multilingual. Mm. That that code switching in like the 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 stuff that I was reading is uh, like when do you speak your native language versus when do you speak English in yeah. English spaces? And I'm guessing. I'm guessing that's one of the definitions because I saw that too. But then I also saw other things that were like when you are speaking in a in the language that you use within your minority group. Like, yeah, I saw I saw kind of both options. Yeah, yeah, but still about about language, right? Let's see. I I have uh, definitions, and I, it, my code switching definition on code switching says it involves adjusting one's speech, appearance, behavior, and mannerisms. Oh. That will um, increase the comfort of others in exchange for fair treatment. Oh. So I think there are, I think the more like literal or maybe uh, like the non-psychological -psych definition like uh, might be, you know, I, I'm guessing that's where it started. Code switching is like about language, but has then moved on to there. There is more that you have to when you're adjusting for the kind of the dominant kind of behaviors, mannerisms, it, ways that are found acceptable to be treated that you you have to adjust all that, including your language. So maybe maybe it is masking. Maybe masking is code switching. Because what's the yeah, what you did you find like the difference between the two? Masking is psychology and sociology that it says it's the process in which an individual camouflages their natural personality or behavior to conform to social pressure abuse or harassment so yeah it's it's about it's about it's about passing as something other than who you really are in society to conform to societal expectations yeah so that's why we were kicking around this idea of like sure we get it from a queer perspective but there's a lot of intersectionality when it comes to these these things and it would be great to talk to people who have more than one interesting thing about them. So we, we got a hold of Minority Report, which fucking love those guys, and, and they're all black queer men. So there's at, at least, you know, the, we can talk about the compounding influences of those things. Because I know that black people are under a lot of pressure in white society, and queer people are under a lot of pressure in straight society, and they are under a lot of pressure for both reasons. Yeah. So I want to get into it with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, what I'm coming to understand, I think code switching... And masking can be used sometimes synonymously. Hmm. To me, code switching often refers to um, a race comes up a lot mm -hmm. using AVE and language that you're used to around other black people versus what white society expects your you know words and sentences and grammar to sound like but, but by the way everybody aave is abonics don't say abonics anymore say oh, aave african-american African -American vernacular english, english yeah. which is um this is something i've only learned recently like it is an actual language so if you're correcting someone because you're a grammar you're the grammar police and think that it, oh you're speaking correctly it's a correct totally acceptable form of English. Yep. So you're the asshole. Yep. So I think this is a side note, but just like focusing on someone's meeting, especially in an argument, like in an argument where you start to like say like you use the wrong they or there, like you're not like directly addressing their argument. You're not like directly addressing or having a conversation. So then you kind of look. And if somebody says you're an idiot, why are you are an idiot? Oh, 
on Facebook, they will get us something from me every that's, single time. That's funny, though. That's to be like, oh, uh, th- that is kind of addressing, directly addressing their their issue, though. <laughs> anyway, so code switching seemed to mostly talk about racism and yeah. race-related, like, code switching. But there's, you know, far broader uh, things that apply to masking seems to be like when code switching you have to mask some of your traits Um, and masking seemed explicitly only like a hiding behaviors. Let's see what hides or suppresses um, behaviors or difficulties they're experiencing. It particularly came up when I looked at like people with disabilities, Mm -hmm. people with autism that seemed to be like, yeah, like hiding certain traits or behaviors because they know that they've either gotten negative feedback from those behaviors or they know it's not acceptable consciously or subconsciously like either way trying to hide traits that they naturally have in order to conform yeah i saw i saw saw, uh, high functioning autism as as being uh, there's a lot of stuff out there in this space too uh, and that's a slightly different because they're uh sure they're trying to mask the fact that they have autism but a lot of it is by adopting like behaviors of neurotypical people that they have observed mm-hmm. and, or have been taught or uh, there are um there's like blogs and youtube videos on like how to pass as neurotypical which i think is super interesting yeah absolutely should i talk a little bit about whatever the fuck you want to because this is your show sure. yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'll just spend a few minutes and talk about like for code switching and masking a couple of the challenges that come along with this both of these i think we're mainly going to be talking about kind of the negative effects of sure. having to do this yeah code switching the pressure to conform to a dominant culture can lead to burnout or most emotional exhaustion mm. which like okay. to try to like even let's just do the language thing to try to speak in a different language than your native language all day, every day is a lot. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, I did that when I stayed abroad in Spain, it was, it was tiring. Yeah. Yeah. It was exhausting just speaking and you're like every interaction you're like, it's a lot just to get through a podcast with you. I, think. I know. Right? <laughs> Is there like a code switching? A pod? We do a little bit of code switching podcasting because we like turn on different qual- podcasting qualities and turn off others. I well, definitely don't talk like this to you in real life, Kyle. <laughs> well, that's interesting, Mike. Sometimes I do talk to you like this, but it's real weird for both of us. Yep. Um, code switching can cause people to not be fully present in the moment because they're monitoring every word that comes out of their mouth. Fuck that. Is that that resonates with uh, with gay being gay and not being in the closet for 30 years <laughs> yeah just like that um and it can create tension between an individual and members of the cultural group with which they most strongly identify yeah so it, when you're if you code switch and someone that has hears you in both scenarios hears you trying to present more like favorably to white people or like what the fuck is your like why why do you sound like that what do you do like i can i can even imagine a you know a scene in a tv show where someone is like wait why do you why are you talking like that to them right yeah yeah um for masking uh some of the side effects increased uh stress depression and anxiety uh are some of the potential side effects a sense of loss of your uh overall identity and long-term it says masking may cause autistic people the most harm according wow. to some research and signs that someone may be masking includes mirroring others, facial expressions or social behaviors, rehearsing or, pre- or preparing scripted responses to comments 
or imitating gestures such as handshakes or initiating eye contact. Wow. So it's right. like looking at other people and mirroring what they're doing because that's where you're picking up your clues and your cues from. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, do you want to take a little break and then talk more about both of these with the boys from Minority Report? Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we will have Karel Jarrell and Duan from Minority Report on. And we're going to have a kiki. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you want to take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. Let's take a break. Break. This is the part where Mike and Kyle take a break. Are, are we back? We're back. We're back. We are here with Auntie Carell, Auntie Jarell, and Auntie Dewan from Minority Report. Ladies, welcome to Gayish. Welcome back. Thank hey, you. Thanks for having us back. <laughs> so first, uh, it's been a while since we had you on, um, but not your first rodeo. What have you all been up to since the last time you, you were you were in front of us? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> That's a loaded question. Uh, Survive the pandemic. <laughs> um, where do we start? <laughs> It's been so like much time. Eating, eating too much. Uh, <laughs> what else? Yeah, I don't know. Just, I mean, celebrating more podcast victories, and we just celebrated four years on the podcast. Yeah, that was, that was fun. Four C- years. Congratulations! Congrats! Yeah, that was a that was a fun episode. That was a lot of fun to watch. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for hopping on there. By the way. Yeah, yeah. Not a problem. Did you think you'd make it four years when you started? Is that was that like your vision? Uh I, I guess I don't know if I ever thought of, and maybe Duana Drell, if you had a number on it, oh, yeah. I don't know if we had like a number. No- <laughs> Duana's like, yes, one year. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I ever thought of a number, but did I think we would still be here? I thought so, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just <laughs> I didn't agree. think it would come this quick. Like, I don't, I didn't think mm. four years would pass that fast. It honestly feels like we're like in the terrible twos. Like in my mind, yeah. like those original first episodes where we were trying to figure things out <laughs> still live rent free in my head yeah. that the community in the world still will never see. Because yeah. <laughs> the lighting was bad, the mics were bad. It was, girl, it was like baby drag. It was not cute. <laughs> I think that's a requirement for everyone's first few podcast episodes. You have to do it on bad mics. It has to sound horrible and you have to never want to listen to them again. (laughs) Ever. 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 I I have to say, I have to say though, we put a lot of thought and energy into like that formative year. Hmm. So, you know, it's not like we just decided to turn the cameras on mm-hmm. and the mics on and said, That's true. let's see how she goes. Mm. Like <laughs> we literally put, a, we had so many production calls. We were, were really thoughtful and intentional about what we wanted the voice to be, um, how we wanted to interact with one another and how we wanted to use the platform. So, you know, when you think about four years ago and making it to where we are today, I'm just so grateful, you know, that what it is that we're doing and the message that we're sending around representation and that every voice matters, especially those that go unheard and unsung and, you know, don't have the platform yeah. that that's resonating with people. That's, that's what continues to give a lot of us hope. And we are some silly hoes. We like to have fun. <laughs> this, is, this is, you all are getting like a snippet of what our regular conversations are like on the daily so did we expect to be here four years from now yeah i think so and mm-hmm. i think we'll probably be here quite for quite a while yeah. doing, no, maybe right. some different things, <laughs> doing some different things and and you know having some different people and on and 
and you know continuing to evolve like we all are doing yeah yeah that's awesome that's amazing let us into behind the scenes a little bit like what kind of things were most important to you when putting together this podcast <laughs> can't let you behind the scenes too much because that means we got to tell you about the text thread and the text thread don't make it to the podcast all the time <laughs> Tell, well, read me one message yeah, where it's, it's all in caps or <laughs> <laughs> and the behind no, the look. scenes means we don't know if Jarrell has pants on or not half the time <laughs> she got shorts on today I thought about okay. it because it's hot but this chair is in my ass my bare ass won't mess well it won't too mess. much okay. so. <laughs> so that's the behind scenes look we started this before the pandemic. So we were still using like, we were all like having our regular day jobs. We were still like sending messages to each other while we were actually physically going into the office. Mm -hmm. And like, that's when you had to like, because when you got a text message or something scandalous, you had the ability to like make it um, invisible yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that you did you weren't in some kind of meeting with yeah. your work colleague <laughs> and you have some, just any old thing thing and thing and on your on your phone in the middle of a conversation so yeah it's been an adventure <laughs> yeah. and, and, but i guess maybe even just to kind of go back to that question though it's like we we just wanted really to show the spectrum of what it was to be black and queer hmm. and, and really be give a voice or at least a, a part of a voice because we're not a monolith at all mm -hmm. but at least sharing our perspective and bringing on folks to share their perspective what it is to be black and brown in the queer space but I, I would say the one thing maybe in the four years that i didn't foresee for just like feedback that we get is that a lot of folks are like, it's awesome to see three queer black friends mm -hmm. in that dynamic. For us, that was like the norm. We're like, of course we're friends, you know, mm -hmm. and things like that. But <laughs> that is a lot of the feedback we get that they've just never been, folks have not been privy maybe to the inside conversations of three queer black friends or that they like seeing the conversations between three queer black friends because they're also having those conversations. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that was maybe like a given that like, we didn't even really discuss at the beginning, but it's kind of yeah. cool that, oh, yeah, duh, we're friends, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And, and that's been great. And just a vulnerability of just like, obviously, we do, you know, your ask your aunties questions and things like that. Just a continued vulnerability <laughs> that people are willing to share questions and they might get read by us. And it might be a shady answer and things like that. But that's just part of the, the camaraderie we have with the community that uh, that's been really cool. And I, I think that leads very well, actually, into this conversation about code switching and masking of kind of the expectations when you're speaking with your friends versus, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like professionally or can you tell me just a little bit about your experience? I'm more thinking like either younger versions of you or maybe versions of you that, that had to struggle with this. Like how, how have you, what are the challenges in having to code switch or mask your behaviors or the way you're, you're used to speaking for kind of mass appeal? How long we got? <laughs> I, 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 feel like, I feel like the HR director of minority report should take this question. please. <laughs> <laughs> the one, you're up. <laughs> I think one of the things that a lot of your listeners who are people of color and more specifically black would appreciate is just the the acknowledgement that we grew up like this. Hmm. So the notion of code switching and masking is ingrained within black culture because that's the way that we have to exist in a world that that subjugates us in the way that it does specifically here in the United States. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. it's it, so it's not it's not entirely a different experience. 
Um, now that doesn't mean that it's not difficult and it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. And you know, that we aspire for environments that are vastly different and that it's not a struggle, but we do it because we've been doing it ever since we've been born. We've been taught, you know, how to speak in what predominantly white spaces we've been taught, like what professionalism is supposed to look like, you know, which emulates certain ideologies that come from, you know, straight white men, essentially. Women go through this as well. So um, the notion of of code switching, whether it's using a, a, a vernacular, a, to, a style, a tonality, um, or a, the lack thereof, right, in predominantly white spaces is the modus operandi and it's the expectation, hmm. right? Um, and then covering and masking aspects of our identities. Again, you know, you think about how many black women have straightened their hair, hmm. right? Hmm to fit in or have when they've chosen to wear their hair natural or they've chosen to wear uh, braids and have had people coming over to them saying, can I touch your hair? Or not even saying that, just coming over and and having the audacity to put their hands on someone to touch their hair because they're curious. Like this is not an unfamiliar phenomenon, Um, you know, and there's been a lot of education about um, how to combat this. And I, I appreciate allies like you all, you know, to our community, um, when I say our, I'm meaning the black queer community hmm. for raising the conversation, hmm. because this is not something that is part of, let me take one step back and just say that privilege is the ability to not have to care about something that impacts somebody else. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, so let's, so let's be clear. So when we talk about masking and code switching and covering in these concepts that are predominantly impacting people of color, a lot of white people, and I say white people just generally, right? Not everyone, but a lot of white people don't have an, a, a real understanding of what that is like for someone who is black. Yeah. And we don't really have an understanding of what it's like for somebody who is Hispanic. And, you know, the list goes on. So that's the privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you all using the platform that you have to have conversations about this particular topic in the spirit of of raising awareness so that we can all be better and do better i think that's a really great first step and i would absolutely agree it's i love having the conversation because the truth of the fact is like duan said like as being black and brown is part of just our culture how we grew up you know like my mom would say when you leave this house you better act like you got some sense what meant you know how we act in the house is how we act because that's how we communicate but when you leave this house you communicate in a way what other people mm-hmm. understand who you are and what you're trying to say and that's where for me code switching really began um as far as understanding you know there's in your home and there's the outside world um but the truth is a lot of black folks are also tired of having to code switch it's like a job inside another job like we go to work Mm -hmm. and then we're we have to clock in again to make sure that we don't say something that may have other people look at us like oh that's not how we say things around here or you're not educated or just even the communication and how i may say something it may not be how they're used to having that type of conversation. So it's, it's in my mind, I think if I had like a bra on, I came home and I take it off, like that's what code switching would feel like to me. <laughs> you know, like I, I leave work and I'm just like, girl, let him out, girl. Girl, let him out because it is, it's, it, it's weight. Cause like it's, 
I one of the things about uh, that I love about my relationship with my partner is an immigrant. He migrated here, and so English isn't his first language. And he often would have conversations about like how he would feel embarrassed about his English, mm-hmm. and he would constantly ask me for the first few years, like, "Did I say it okay? Do I sound like I'm not from here?" Like always thinking about that, mm-hmm. and he would tell me like. I would have to say it in Albanian first before I said it in English to make sure you understood what I was saying. I was like, bitch, that's code switcher. I have to say it how I would want to say it normally. And then I have to say it in a way that non-black folks, non-black and brown folks would be able to understand it. And I'm like, see, I love you even more because you understand something that a lot of other people don't understand, you know? So I do like to want to appreciate having these conversations because it's, it's the only way we're going to feel comfortable to be our most authentic selves and actually allow for us to not be able to code switch. The more allies understand the importance of us being able to truly be our authentic selves. Because often workspaces are like, hey, you know, we really accept you for who you are, but it doesn't feel like that quite often. With a big asterisk, like, maybe? like <laughs> Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask you, you, you talk about your mom saying, um, you know, things to you as you were leaving the house. Yeah. I know that like black parents with their kids have the talk about cops. Right. And that's something that white parents don't do. And, 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 and talking to my black friends and learning like every single black person in my life had their parent at some point in time, sit them down and talk about interacting with cops. I'm curious. And still do. Yeah, and still do. And, and, and rightly so, right? They absolutely, mm-hmm. like, like keep, keep them safe because it's not safe, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm curious how, how explicit, like, like, would you get lessons on code switching? Like, is it really, like, specific things that were said out, out loud to you as lessons? Or uh, is it sort of um, more, more like, uh, Im- implied or, or influenced? You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, how, how explicit are the, like... Uh, ideas that you you got bit of both yeah I, I feel like it kind of it depends on the situation like especially like say like professional life like in corporate America and things like that like I remember when I got into corporate America there was a conversation with my family and, and the friends they're like oh you're gonna so I had cornrows huh. throughout college huh. and came into corporate America and I specifically <laughs> kept them because I knew that it might rub people the wrong way, but I wanted to show it doesn't matter what my hair looks like. Mm. I'm going to still kick ass in this job kind mm. of thing. So there's been comments, conversations very maybe specific in that regard saying, oh, you might want to think twice about that because of X, Y, Z. Sure. Yeah. But then there's other instances that is just like implied on a day to day thing you know and and like Dewan said it's just it was something that's just so there your entire life a lot of times you don't even know or remember when you learned it but you know it yeah and, and so some of that yeah. is just like the the sucky part is just like it's almost forced upon you and it's just like you don't even know if it's a, a nature or nurture thing because it's so ingrained because it's been around forever so I, I feel like it's so situational based that it's like oh hold on you know you can't do that or you know we, we say it like this in the crib but when we get out there make it elevate your voice and put the voice but i think we call it like the white voice and yeah. you know especially <laughs> when it even comes down to like your name because like Carell, Jarrell, and Dewan. i mean it's not the quote-unquote cis white name out there yeah. and so knowing that already seeing your email come through in the inbox that there's already gonna be some 
bias potentially that's already out there. So you already know the second you answer that phone, let me at least maybe soften my blackness so it doesn't make someone else feel uncomfortable. And that's just conversations, at least in my, my family, that we've had here and there throughout the years. But as I've gotten older and kind of like grown at least in my professional career and things like that, and what I really love about our podcast is really showing that we could just we could be success, successful in our authentic selves and being. But as I grow in my corporate career, I've kind of been like, you know what? <laughs> you're going to kind of get what you're going to get at this point. <laughs> yeah. Because you you have seen habitually how good I am at what I do. <laughs> so if you still have issues by my tone, by the way I express something and deem it not professional, then guess what? I'm going to have to ask you to go do some other professional stuff. Go to a, an Afrotech to see how we talk professionally and mm-hmm. things like that because mm-hmm. for your whole career, you're taught to do the other side. Uh, you're going to have to come on this side now a little bit to, to get uh, maybe a little diverse view of how we say and do things as well. Yeah. If I could add to your question too, as well, as a third parent who uh, is helping raise three young black men and a young black woman, I have to, I've actually had this conversation with my nephew Mm. who just turned 13 this year and he's starting to get a bass in his voice and he's starting to get facial hair. And I had to tell him, I was like, you are a kid to me. But there are some other people who will see you as a threat and it has nothing to do with who you are. And so for there, there are things that you are taught as mannerisms to soften the unknown that someone could possibly place on you because you are a black person. For instance, you know, your body language, making sure that your hands are in your pocket. You know, making sure you're not wearing baggy clothes, making sure. And I have to have this conversation. They are kids. But even when they were four or five years old, had to have the conversation. We got to stop buying them Nerf guns because they will see them as they get older playing with these toy guns. And then again, there are people out there who put two and two together. That is an armed black man, although that is a child playing with a Nerf gun. But them being young black kids, they don't get that privilege of being able to be a kid because of the color of their skin yeah like my nephew wanted for christmas these like little toy butterfly knives they're literally like aluminum little butterfly little knives that can't cut nothing they don't cut anything they just <laughs> called it right but yeah. i told him i was like but someone would see you doing that and it looks like you have a weapon mm-hmm. so guess what you could be perceived some kind of way and so then you followed up with at the end of the day it's about coming home you do whatever it is that you need to do to make sure that you're able to come home and we figure out how to support you. We figure out what to do next as long as you after you get home first. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the, some of the conversations that we have with our young black children, because there are some things that people will, you know, or there are some people who would judge them just off the color of the skin and doesn't matter the age mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Uh, Drill, you mentioned. I think you were the one that mentioned, and I just wrote down its weight. I'm I'm curious if now that you're older, maybe can unpack it. Like what what kind of additional weight, or how does this affect your either mental health or I don't know ability to navigate the world? Like what what weight has this added? I mean, now that I weigh two twenty, I'm carrying this weight well. <laughs> <laughs> but you said with a Q, baby. Look, um, honestly, but like the weight is almost like it's almost like when you have to yawn but you can't get it out mm-hmm. and the moment you do yawn you're like oh 
Woof. It honestly, it's something that I, being in a corporate America, when I am there, I feel like I have to be playing a game of chess. And I have to be thinking two steps ahead. If I move this pawn, then it, and my next move is going to be this. My next move is going to be this if they do this. But if not, then I'm going to do this, 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 and this if they decide to do that. It's really taxing because it's, like, a, like I said before, it's a game inside of a game. And quite often, if you are around other people like yourselves to give you that chance to actually clock out, you typically stay on all the time mm-hmm. because it's not until you're around community that you that you really truly get to clock out of having to code switch. Mm-hmm. Like even in my own relationship, even with my partner, him being you know white European, there are still some things I can't say because it's going to go whoop right over his head. Mm-hmm. So even within my relationship, I still have to quite often code switch so that way for communication purposes, he understands what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Let's just be clear. This is not just a black thing. Like we can talk about it from our own personal experience, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, think about, think about how many, you know, white individuals that are out there that are, that are co-opting our, our language, our vernacular, our mannerisms, et cetera, in the gay community, right. That are bastardizing the ball scene. Right. You know, and um, you know, who are in effect when they're around their black friends, they put on their black voice. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And they say all the, you know, the 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 hoogery things that they would they think is appropriate to say within those environments. Right. But then when they're around their white friends, it's, you know, Taylor Swift and bubblegum. So, <laughs> you know, it's not it's, it's not it's not a one way street. It's not a one way street. And it's and, you know, code switching can be, you know, can can have, you know, many positive impacts. But largely what we see within our community is the negative the negative components of it because it is a system of oppression and this is a, a modality that we've had to leverage in order to survive an environment that has oppressed us and continues to oppress you know us and when i say and I, i'm using this more broadly like as a queer community yeah, right yeah. so when we think about these terms you know i don't want people to come away from this podcast thinking that this is a black or white thing right mm-hmm. everybody code switch well yeah. let me rephrase most people code switch right in some way shape or form and th- their intention could be i just want to survive we think about you know our beautiful trans brothers and sisters and those in between and having to live a life in, in a way where their body is betraying who they are who they really are and having to code switch in order to just exist yeah right you know it is something that we all experience. And I, I, I long for the day um, where these conversations are um, are extinct because we are operating from a mindset that let people show up who they are and judge them for who they are, not what we want them to be. Yeah. And until we can get to that place, we're going to continue to have these kinds of conversations. Yeah. 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 And I'll, and I'll add, yeah, I think everyone does to some degree, you walk into a corporate America, you, you probably won't, even if you're white and straight, you're probably going to speak a little bit differently than usual. And the privilege though, is not to have the extra burden of additional work to do. Like mostly the way that you speak is deemed acceptable, but you don't have 
a too much of an extra burden placed on you. So you still, even though everyone code switches a little, there's still that privilege that comes along with being white, with being straight, with fitting into the mainstream culture's expectations of what you look like. Um, that that means that we won't totally understand what it's like to be black, to be queer, to be brown, to walk into a space that they have to do uh, and even just even within the queer community i mean we've all been in those situations where it's like the straight bro and you feel like you got to bro it up a little yeah. bit and things yeah. like that so it's just like yeah. it's, i feel like a lot of times people say oh it's a hard concept to the graphs i'm like no you do this shit all the time you get it, but you just choose not to get it. all day <laughs> yeah yeah look you you put somebody if you go to the corporate scenario like or any work scenario and you have the opportunity to get a promotion you know how to code switch real fast. Real quick. <laughs> trying to get that going. You figure it out. Yeah. yeah. You figure it out. You're like, my boss talks this way. I'm going to talk this way. My bo- boss yeah. likes golf and and whatever. Like, I can talk about this, y'all. I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> Oh goodness! What about what about like queer? Like uh, to me, the the thing that I can most identify with this is I remember growing up, and if I let any kind of it's more the behavioral, but if I let anything slip of things I liked, things like certain ways of talking that would reveal that I might be gay, I uh, that, girl, I I hid don't, that. Don't sit in that s a little too long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think my voice changed when I stopped having to monitor it and just started talking like I talk like I think there's so I think everyone is like even my brother was like well you don't have to change or act like a different person just because you're like gay now you can and it was like oh you didn't know that all this time was a fake version of me like you didn't know that (laughs) who I am now is the more authentic version so so uh, yeah I'm curious including Mike like how the like being in the closet (laughs) kind of affected your masking or or codes i think it's, it's when you're in the closet it's mostly masking because you're not you, there's no code switching like maybe online i don't know on craigslist was it when i was asking to get like fucked maybe there was some maybe that's when i could be authentically gay but like i don't know when else i had to to be myself the the like the fake me versus real me thing is like like it's 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 i think a question that i'll never have an answer to mm. right like i I'm pretty like not gross mask for mask way, but I I think I'm pretty, pretty masculine. I present pretty masculine and I will never know is that, and it feels natural. I don't feel like it's something I'm putting on, but I don't think I'll ever know whether like, would I still be exactly like this if I had come out as a teenager instead of at age 30 and had permission to, not be this way I, yeah. I, I, I don't know well, you talked about you've talked about seeing your wrist on a yeah. home movie yes yeah. what what happened there it's a family reunion and we were doing um my family's weird as hell and we do like parades and shit and we had a fourth of july parade <laughs> and there's this like camcorder video i'm like 11 12 years old and uh i'm holding an american flag and like waving this flag walking around in this parade and i remember just being absolutely fucking mortified at how faggy my wrist looked in this video <laughs> yeah yeah and, and yes please yeah. <laughs> wave that flag bitch yes. to, to your credit you were in a parade that, that's true that's true which you know they set you up for gayness there it's kind of gay it's kind of gay already <laughs> But I, that baton and everything. 
I want to I want to I want to ask you guys like like the corporate world is the white straight dude world for the most part, which is like super unfair and shitty, but it's true. And uh, so you you talked a lot about code switching and, and masking um, uh, in in the context of race. But do you also go to the office and act straighter? Can you compare and contrast those functions? Not, oh, anymore. not anymore. I love that answer. No. Yeah, I feel like one of the benefits of of getting a little longer in the tooth hmm. is being able to step into who you are authentically and not give as much of a damn in terms of um, what other people think about you because you know not only what your worth is as an individual, but you also know what your worth is and what you bring to an organization hmm. and that you also know that you have options. I think earlier in one's career, I can only speak for myself, but I also mentor a lot of other people and this seems to be a, a common thread there's a lot of insecurity, hmm. you know, because you're, you're doing this, this is your first rodeo, you're, you're, you're building your career, you're learning how the ropes work, how to navigate those waters, how, who, to net, who to network with, how to, how to deliver your, your work in such a way that it speaks not only highly of your team, but also you and advances your career. Like there are a lot of things that you're learning on the fly, but once you've learned those lessons, you're able to lean on that level of expertise and you're able to navigate those waters and move a little bit differently. So, you know, for somebody who's a little bit further along in their career and a little bit more settled, certainly a lot more settled into the person that I am, there is no masking. I girl all day. <laughs> you could be the CEO. You can be the you could be the investors. You can be the, the person on the street and you can be my subordinate. And we girl and we kiki and we talk and but we gonna get this shit done yeah. <laughs> because I know how to navigate these waters. <laughs> but not everybody can say that. And even that is a privilege. Yeah, I was just thinking it's just like when it kind of comes to masking and, and code switching for the longest there was almost this pressure and this force of having to do it i think one thing now that kind of maybe takes your power back is no i get to decide how to, to play this game you don't get to decide how i play this game mm -hmm. and determining when i need to girl it up and when i don't need to girl it up and it's not because i felt some pressure from you it's i'm in charge of the game now <laughs> and i know mm -hmm. when it's going to better my hand and my situation. And I think that's something that similar, similar to what Dewan was just saying that you kind of just learn and hopefully grow into as you get a little more comfortable in your skin. And I, I, I feel like even though I was somewhat comfortable in my skin before, it's a whole another level now. And, 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 the, and it may be to a privilege of me having been successful and things like that so like some of that comes with success like proving that you could do the job proving that you know what you're doing is bringing money to the company at the end of the day but again me choosing how i play this game now is something that i've had to learn over time that if i feel like cold switching today to get what i need to get done guess what i'm gonna do it mm -hmm. but it's not because i felt some weird pressure anymore from from whatever they them it is yeah, and I consider myself a bro gay. A bro gay? The, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, and and the aunties would tell you, like, I play sports all damn day. I played three games of softball yesterday, got two, had two today, got volleyball leagues, flag football, kickball, dodgeball. Did, I did all the sports. <laughs> so at work, I fit in a lot with the bros because of the fact that I love sports so much. So I don't necessarily have to because I already have almost a connection to that kind of some of that broism when it comes to sports. So for me, it's almost a privilege where I kind of get accepted because of that. And 
I still bring all my queerness though, because I also like to use it in the moment to make sure that when I'm hanging around these cis straight men, that they're also getting that diversity of queer people being just as into sports, you know? Yeah. And a, a gay black man can go out there and hoop with you and still dunk at the age of 35. Yeah. And we'll get out here and want a 100, you know, in less than 11 seconds with you, bitch. Or we'll get out here and intercept your ball or whatever the case is in any goddamn sport. Right? Yeah, put that cheerleader outfit on and be like, yeah, that's been. Right, stare you down. Like, I like that's one of the things that I love about sports because growing up, when I hadn't come out yet, that was one of the hard parts for me. Was I was good at sports, but I wasn't able to share a part of me, which was my queerness, because there's so much of that toxicity in sports. Yeah. And now being an adult, I'm like, oh no, bitch, I'm going to play these sports, and you're going to get this out of me too, so that y'all know we could be just as good as y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a tiny bit of a pivot but I, I i know it's not a competition by any means and i i'm i'm very very curious about about uh, code switching and, and masking considering your where you live right like corral and dewan you live in much more racially diverse cities than jarell who's in seattle let's face it it's cracker white here uh, and i am I'm, I'm wondering if if you think that that makes it easier or harder from like a code switching perspective i would say that the company that i work for is predominantly san francisco seattle based okay so uh. um from that perspective no uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know like where i spend when i spend the majority of my week is in those in those spaces so for me um it's less about the environment it's more about i think Carell, you said it really well it's the notion of um using code switching and masking as a survival technique versus using it as a point of leverage in order to get what I want or yeah. what or, or accomplish what I need to get accomplished, right? It's a different of a mindset. And I'd be curious to hear what the other aunties have to say. But for me, it's it's less about, you know, the the, the city that I'm in. Let me take that step back. I aspire to be in a city like New York because because of its diversity. Yeah. You know, when I moved yes. to New York, I lived in Hell's Kitchen first. And that's where all the gay bars are, you know, t- gay, 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 all day, day. But what it was missing was flavor. Hmm. Not Flavor Magazine, for those <laughs> that know that. <laughs> it was missing flavor for the neighborhood. And so now I live in Harlem. And I live in Harlem because I wanted an environment. Two reasons. One, because my best friend and his partner live up here and I want to be close to them. And then two, because the neighborhood that they that they lived in, you know, was incredibly racially diverse, predominantly black and, and, and Latino. And so, you know, I wanted to be, when I walk out of my house, I want to hear multiple languages. I want, I, I love that melting pot of, of diversity. And so you'll be hard pressed to find me ever wanting to move to, and sorry about it, but like Montana or Utah or, yeah. you know, potentially even Seattle. Why? Because the opportunity to be surrounded by people that, that look different than me, other than just whiteness, you know, is, is important yeah. to me yeah. and the quality of life that I want to live. It is very, very possible to be a black person and thriving in a predominantly white space. I don't aspire to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so to, and so to Dewan's point, I would, I would say then to Mike's question that it is a privilege because living in Seattle where I don't have what you have Dewan in Harlem, you know, I get my blackness, a sense of community, 
by going to the Safeway that I live above because that's where the black and brown folks work at. Or because I live near a central district, there are a couple of black owned restaurants I can go to and get some flavor. Okay. (laughs) But for the most part, I don't get to see, you know, those who look like us. And so to my question, I would say, yes, the city does play a role and how often you get to clock out of having to code switch because when I'm in Seattle, I have to think about those same things I think about even when I'm clocked in at work. I walk down the street and I have to think about those same mannerisms that I think about when I'm at work. I have to think about how do I communicate when I'm ordering a drink or going to a restaurant that is not diverse. You know, those same questions that I think about with code switching at work exist in the city as well. So yes, Mike, it is a difference when you live in a city that isn't as diverse. I'm I'm wondering in Seattle, do you ever experience like pressure to be extra black? Honestly, yeah, I I, I really do. But but here's, here's, here's the thing. I think the pressure comes from within our community because we go so long without seeing each other. Mm -hmm. So the pressure is more so to create a space for each other and let you know, hey, I see you, you can be yourself with me. You know, like in Seattle in in the last probably like two, three years, there has been a shift of black folks being more intentional about having spaces, you know, that allow us to kind of check out and be ourselves, whether it's a brunch or it's an R&B, you know, like, you know, evening party or whatever the case is. Um, So there is a little bit of a pressure. But there's also a pressure to also make sure that I hold allies accountable by making sure that they get to see black folks in spaces that they predominantly operate in as well, too, because you don't know what you don't know. And if I don't bring my authentic self to those primarily white spaces, I personally feel I'm not allowing or helping my allies understand that we are a monolith and there are different shades of black and black people could come in different forms and ideas, et cetera. Yeah. 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 So that's the kind of the pressure that I get here in Seattle. Yeah. That's an interesting question because I've said that since, so I've moved all over this country, it feels like, but when I moved to Atlanta, it was the first time in my life that a city had to adapt to black culture. Like if you weren't black in that city, you might be the one might need to do some Uh, post switching mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it was incredible to see just the wide range of blackness moving to Philadelphia last year. People are like, Oh yes, you know, it's a black city, you know, I'm like, okay, whatever it is, what it is. We'll see when I get there. And it's still palpable, the difference. And Atlanta's just like its own thing in this world, I'm finding out. Like, it's just a different city, and it's incredible. But to come back to Philadelphia, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is what it feels like to actually be in reality, quite frankly. Because you do find yourself potentially second-guessing. And I'm glad I'm in the city at the age I'm at now, because, again, I'm picking and choosing how I play the game, not feeling a force to do so. But... I told Corey, my husband, when we moved here, I was like, it's different. This is this is back to what it was before Atlanta. So there there definitely is something about potential more racially diverse cities living in compared to like growing up in small town Michigan. Mm. It's definitely a true factor. But I, I would say there are there is diversity. You got to seek it out and you got to want to find it mm-hmm. and 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 find those mentors, find those communities that the tap into. So you can just feel sane. <laughs> <laughs> 
But you know what? I mean, can we kick the question back to you all? Like, we've been talking a lot about our experiences in terms of masking and code switching. You know, when you think about your queerness hmm. and you think about your own personal experience, I'd be curious, you know, what are some some examples from your own personal lives where you felt perhaps the pressure to code switch? I know a lot of, you know, Mike, you mentioned this notion of, um, you know, being very kind of um, mass presenting, hmm. you know, and when you think about your circle of friends, have you ever felt the pressure to fem it up? And maybe even leaned into that, even though when it might not have felt natural to you, but for the space that you're in, you're like, I'm going to put on some lipstick and a wig and I'm going to, you know, my shoulders a little sicily. (laughs) Uh, I feel that, I feel, I feel that at work actually. So I, I did a bunch of stuff last year to make myself the, 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 the head gay on my team. And so I, I do find myself being a little extra just to remind people like we work really closely together, but you, like, I want you to know I'm super gay, but I also work at Salesforce, which is like, you know, a San Francisco based company that is, you know, girl, you know, (laughs) 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 but then, but then the opposite is true. When I go home, I grew up in, in Trump country and I like, I, I butch it up and I dress more conservatively baggier clothes. And, you know, I, I, I really do monitor a lot more what I say and do. And that's just, um, especially now shit is so like toxic in large swaths of the country, but like for, for drag Queens and, and trans people. And it just feels like they're coming for the whole community. And, and I have the privilege of flying under the radar for the most part. And mm. I don't know. It, yeah. That's, I'm just rambling. Mm. <laughs> You had the recently sat down and had dinner with me and my parents. Yeah. I'm curious if you remember or noticed if I was acting differently around them. Uh, you, you're an enigma around your parents. Like you give, <laughs> you give the shortest possible answer that answers the question without like elaborating. Oh man. Maybe you sat down when I was already frustrated with them. Oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So, so maybe, maybe you got frustrated me instead of, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely still think about this and it's getting better as like my dad has started listening to the podcast and I've had to tell him to stop it. Like, so at least he knows that like he's heard me when I'm just authentically talking to a friend. So I'm not, I'm still not going to talk completely like this i've like every now and then i'll drop a curse word and then you know look around it'll be like more like a joke that i'm like saying a curse word and see how they react or whatever like yeah i i'm much different yeah uh around family i recently had this conversation with my mom very same conversation she's been listening since i don't want to say since day one but shortly after day one she started listening and she and i were talking and she was like yeah you know you talk really differently with your friends than you do with me hmm. i say yeah mom because we talking about dicks and fucking and all that stuff, <laughs> about that stuff with you yeah. so the context of the conversation is going to be completely different um but it's it's interesting when your parents have insight into mm-hmm. not your parents know you through a certain lens and one of the things that a podcast does is it gives you addition it gives others additional insight to not only who you are as a person but how you think mm-hmm. and how you move and navigate and you know it might not be something counter to what their experience of you may be and so i can totally relate to your experience uh, and having this kind of like come to jesus moment with <laughs> you know a parent yeah about 
what they learned about us yeah <laughs> through the podcast yeah like, yeah he was really sucking dick in that back room like that <laughs> <laughs> i raised you better yeah i have to tell my dad everything is a lie oh no 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 that was a lie that was just a lie everything i say on the podcast is a lie i think i i think it's made me think a little bit more about what i want my relationship with my dad to be and i want to be able to t- tell him some things but he doesn't need to know the same level of detail about my friends so i be i've i've become more thoughtful about like i can he's listened to it so he's open to more of me so what do i want to share with him what do i want to not share with him and i don't need him to know how many guys i fucked one weekend like he doesn't need to know that but he it's okay for him to know that i'm (laughs) but it's okay if he knows that i'm dating you know like uh, there so it it helped me establish a line (laughs) dating is the word we use I dated like, like okay, seven guys dating this Dating is switching for fucking. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The, the other piece that resonated with me because masking talked a little bit more about like disabilities and people like hiding certain traits they have being depressed a lot of so i think similar to the discussion of of gayness like a lot of it is pretending that you're not feeling what you're feeling like how do i when i interact with people how do i bring a version of me that is happy upbeat lighthearted that's fun that you want to hang out with instead of what i may authentically be feeling which is like i don't want to bring depressed me to a party and just be like hey buddy i'm gonna go sit in the corner and just look at the ground like I don't you know I'm I I feel like there is a part of me that with with depression I have to show a different part of me to people I'm around yeah that's fair yeah yeah that's an interesting thought because it's just like what is that what's the what's the terminology or the communication set that we can maybe evolve to saying okay I'm not I'm not okay but I'm I'm fine for now and it's like I don't want to bring you down you know it's like how do we evolve to to saying what how we really feel but then still allowing everyone to still, if they're in a jovial mode or in yeah. mood and things like that, to still kind of live that 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 life in that space. So, no, I, I think that's a huge conversation we need to have. And I don't know what the answer quite yeah. is. That was one of the things that I had to learn with battling depression, especially my the episode I had back in 2019, was I had to stop faking it. Because the moment that I was faking it for other people, I was harming myself. Mm. And I had to start saying the only way I can show up for the people that I care about to the best of my ability is by being honest with them and then letting them know I can't pour into you today. Don't mean I don't love you. I just don't have that to give. So I just want you to know. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> we'll try again on a new on a new day. And if the people love you, they are going to respect that and understand, hey, today is just not a day that you can do that. But I had to understand that I it's okay to put yourself first yeah. and to make sure that you put the life jacket on you first, then help the person on the plane <laughs> next to you, yeah. right? Like that, yeah. that saying is actually real. And especially when you apply it to your life, when you're going through depression, because outside, I take meds as well too, but a lot of the work has to be done individually. Yeah. And the only way I can truly do that work is by letting people know that that's where my focus is. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, uh, like even on days I'm lucky in the friend group that I have, that I have been able to be more honest with my group. So sometimes when I would be able to show up, but I wouldn't be able to show up as a happy, friendly bouncing off the wall kind of person, they would be okay with me showing up 
and I'm just going to sit here quietly, not talk. I'm just, I'm going to look like I'm having a terrible time, but you know, I'm just in a bad place and it helps me to be here around you and not say anything and not do anything. And you all keep doing what you're doing. Keep acting, keep having fun. And, and, and me just being able to know that I don't have to, that, that lowers the barrier of me hanging out with people because I don't have to do a ton of more work in order to be there. And they're aware of what's going on for me. So they don't have, they're not going to just sit there and be like, let's check in what's going on. Like they, they know that the check-in is it's bad. Like, you know, like you already know the answer it's bad. So then you can keep know that just me sitting here being with you, even if it doesn't look like it is useful and helpful. And I think that's one way, like letting, I think whoever said like letting people show up how, the way they are, how they are, mm-hmm. whatever they're feeling, whatever, like, and just being accepting of that is, has been extremely useful. You're about to make me boohoo like Corral. <laughs> I normally don't boohoo, <laughs> but like, I totally understand that feeling, Kyle. And it, it's, it is such a loving feeling. It feels really good when your friends just let you just be. Yeah. And it's not like, they're not making you feel like you're bringing the party down. You're bringing them down. They're like, no, I see you. You're good. All right. Just let, just let us know if yep. you need anything. And then you can just process it without that extra added guilt of, damn, I'm fucking up my life. Am I fucking up theirs too? It's yeah. that just that level of love when your friends do that for you is just, yeah. it feels so good. And, and these two do this for me all the time. So I just, oh. that's why I was going to boohoo because I see the two faces that show up for me like that uh, yeah, all the time. Te- tears really are good for episodes. So tell me more about that feeling. And if you could really get into it deep. <laughs> no, no, no. I, isn't that the power? Isn't that the power of discussion and disclosure? Right? Because if you yeah. think about 10 years ago or even right before the pandemic, nearly five years ago, right? There was not nearly the amount of open discussion about mental health personal wellness and you know seeking help professional help having conversations with you know with your your doctor your therapist your friends your rabbi your whomever you know to unpack these things and disclosing these things when one feels that that's appropriate for them to disclose and that's a decision that they make individually but like in disclosing that it there is so much power in being able to say out loud and being vulnerable and expressing what what, what you're going through. Um, and I think, again, this is why having a platform like this is so impactful because we are able to openly discuss these kinds of conversations. And so many people are going to be listening to this podcast right now saying, I feel that too. What Jarell is feeling, what Corell is feeling, like what, what we're feeling, what, what you're talking about is something I felt and I haven't heard that anywhere else. And this becomes a catalyst for them being seen and realizing that they're not alone in their experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Go listen to Minority Report, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good time to plug your show <laughs> for people bringing, <laughs> bringing their authentic selves to a conversation. <laughs> well, is there anything else? No, I I think we'll we'll probably take a break. While, while we're on break, you guys, uh, would you mind playing a game for Patreon? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, we'll, we'll play we'll Absolutely. play we'll play a little game, and then um, but yeah, we'll we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll do our gays the straightest. Yeah, all of that. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Let's take a break. 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 All right. <laughs> this is the part where Mike and Kyle take a break. So are we back? We're back. We're back. We are going to do our gayest and straightest. We're going to do our gayest and straightest. But first, 
aunties tell us all about minority report where you're up to where people could find you tell us all the things yeah minority report new episodes every single monday wherever you listen to podcasts so obviously you know you know the apples the spotify's the google's all that stuff but also every episode is on youtube as well so if you prefer to see us visually and see all this gorgeousness and all this melanation on the screen (laughs) check us out on youtube as well but we put the full episodes out there um and then also if you like merch wash your hands wash your legs wash your ass you could get that at minorityreport.com. So check out the merch out there as well. Yeah, it's so awesome. Well, our website is gayishpodcast.com. Our socials, we are on Facebook groups. We have a Discord. We have spaces at Gayish Podcast for our, everything. Our hotline, you can send us text messages or leave us voicemails. is 585-5-GAYISH. That's 585-542-9474. Standard rate supply. Our email is gayishpodcast at gmail.com. And our physical mailing address is post office box 19882, Seattle, Washington, Nine eight one zero nine. And one note: we will be on Minority Report, so our episode comes out May twenty ninth. So if you want a good way to insert yourself into the listening process, <laughs> you can get inserted at on May twenty ninth. Go take a listen, and then go back to their full back catalog. You got a lot of podcasts you got to catch up on. You have four years, so if you're like me, hundred and twenty something episodes. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. If you're like me, that's a good thing. It's like, okay, I need my thing now that I'm going to be binging. So you've got your brand new binge right here. And uh, in just two weeks from now, we will be at the spot in Hell's Kitchen on the island of Manhattan in New York City. You can see tickets for that show and all of the rest of our upcoming tour stops at uh, gayishpodcast.com slash live. Yeah. Yeah. Do that. Um, Let's do our gayest straightest. Yeah. I will go first. Okay. Okay, great. The straightest thing about me this week is uh, I went to a, like, it's my my sister-in-law's niece's law school graduation party. Ended up talking to her dad at length about tailgating techniques, meaning, like, partying in a parking lot of a sports event. I didn't know there are techniques other than, like, get a cooler with beer. Yeah, well, like, the, like <laughs> you, you want to you grill and you need, like, oh. you know, you got to have, like, a certain kind of, like, the briquettes or whatever and like just had a whole spiel tailgating is very straight wow um and then the gayest thing about me this week was uh, i was at the bar last week uh and the kraken game was on which that should have been my straightest but i got super hit on by this woman uh who was like all decked out in kraken gear too and um i i let her know that she was barking up the wrong tree by loudly mentioning my ex-husband to the bartender barrett who's a friend of mine uh and she she got the hint okay but, did you did she disappear very quickly after that yeah yeah and, and talk about code switching i just was like i just like super gated up and talked about my ex and like like made it made it clear yeah nice uh how about you kyle what is cracking uh the seattle kraken that's our hockey team oh okay yeah. A kraken is like a octopus monster, kind of. But it's a troll as a mascot. But the troll is a mascot. It's so dumb. It's yeah. It doesn't make any sense yeah. to me. None. Um, my gayest is I hosted our D and D group wearing these cute pink shorts that I busted out for summer. Yeah, they're very pink. Very bright pink. Uh, and they like kind of fit me because I've lost a little weight and so I could actually put them on um, so they were still a little tight though um, and my straightest are the board shorts that I'm wearing today <laughs> I, got, I have both kinds of shorts I have straight and gay shorts available for the summer still cute still cute yeah who wants to go next 
Yeah, so the gayest thing that I did, I had my headphones in um, listening to Beyonce because I'm going to be seeing her soon. And as one does when listening to Beyonce, I started model walking in the, um, <laughs> in the subway. I think I was there by myself, but there was a person that was right behind me that was watching the entire thing. <laughs> I only noticed it when I did a pirouette and turned around and saw her. Oh um, locked eyes. <laughs> That's magical. She gave me the nod of approval. Oh, nice. Okay. There you go. Uh, and then the, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the straightest thing was I put together a grill today. Oh, wow. That's wow. impressive. Like a, like a, like a, like a, like a Weber. We're talking is propane. A char, charboil electric grill, but it's like double barreled. I had to put all the pieces together. It's like a hundred pounds. It's wow. It was, it was pretty, pretty task worthy. Yeah. Good work. Okay. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say my straightest moment of the week was, so Dewan and I went and saw Janet Jackson in New York city. So the opener was ludicrous. <laughs> And I was so I like their damn lyric from the, uh, <laughs> the shit out of Ludacris. I was like, okay, I'm over here extra grown up right now. Yeah. And then I was over here, got a nice package, all right. Had to tonight. <laughs> so my straightest gaze occurred literally in the same moment. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Love it. Um, my gayish is I. <laughs> We're going to see Beyonce in a couple of weeks and I'm wearing heels with my outfit. So I actually went out on Friday night to break him in. So I walked like probably five miles in this, in these heels to break him in, to, to get used to it. And then also dancing and everything. So that's probably the gayest thing I've done yeah. uh, this week. The straightest thing I did was ask my friend for golfing lessons for a straight bachelor party that I'm going to back in Minnesota in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in August. And so really straight. Yeah. Somebody yeah, seemed surprised. Really we, we, we said that golf was really straight and somebody was surprised <laughs> by that. I'm like, how are you surprised by that? Golf is so straight. <laughs> the outfits are horrible. horrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> Well, Karel, Jarell, and Duan, uh, thank you so, so, so much for being here. It was lovely as always to see your beautiful faces and I uh, really appreciate the chat. Yeah, everyone go check out Minority Report. Yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having, having us, ladies. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, thank you to Harry Shaw for requesting this episode topic. We really appreciate it. Hope hope uh, everyone learned a little something. Um, and I want to thank all of our Super Gap Bridges, Andrew Bugby, Chris Frem, John Carly, Stephen Porcio, Stosel, Harry Shaw, Josh Copeland, Jonathan Montanez, Wadu, Forrest Nail, Patrick Martin, James Barrow, Steve Douglas, Explosive Lasagna, Michael Covington, Just Jamie, Kevin Henderson, Thomas B. Timothy Sora, Dusty Sands, A. Coleman, Chris Cagetorians, and Jerome York. Yeah, that is it. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> uh, this has been Gayish from the Chris Cacciatore Studios. I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. Until next week, be butch, be fabulous, be you. See you next week. See ya. Bye, aunties. Bye, y'all. Sorry, my friend just um, mooned me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Move the camera over. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> pan, pan camera left. <laughs>